Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi guys and welcome to another edition of Leadership Revealed. So whether you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, thanks for tuning in. So today's special guest is a really good friend of mine and I know people say when they interview somebody he's a really good friend of mine but Tom really is. We've known each other for a number of years Um, and Tom McGee runs a very good letting agency and estate agency in Thameside in Manchester. Um, He's a Yormu franchise and I've asked him to come on to the podcast and the YouTube channel just to have a bit of a chinwag, really, just talk about all things property, business, systems, processes, and Tom's quite uh, um, gladly agreed to come on. So without further ado, welcome, Tom, and thanks again for coming on the Leadership Revealed podcast. Hey, John. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Are you? Not bad. Do you know what? I think we should have subtitles on this because normally I'm the only northerner. I'm the talker northerner, but you've come on. So I think uh, we're double trouble, isn't it? Two northerners. Yours is the only podcast that I still have to listen to on normal speed rather than one and a half speed just to slow you down. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Now now I know that I'll probably really slow my voice down. So, yeah, appreciate that. So, Tom, is it is a bit of a way of your own introduction? I, I won't, you know, introduce you too much and, and do you a disservice. Can you just tell our watchers, subscribers, listeners, followers, just a little bit about you and you know your business and where it's where it's come from? Yeah, definitely. So, um, we've been in business since May two thousand and seven. Uh, as you quite rightly said, we're a Yormu franchise now. We were originally a Halifax estate agents franchise when 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 that was a thing. Um, we set up probably at the worst possible time ever to open an estate agent, so right before the credit crunch. But but I actually always say to people it was the it was the best time to open mm-hmm. because we didn't know any different, and it was a tough market from from almost month one. Um, but it, it it meant we really had to sort of hit our strides and work really really hard from from the first moment. Um, I say we because it's a family business. Um, I'm in business with my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law, um, which uh, can be interesting at times and can be great at times. I think depending on what day of the week you ask me, will will mm. I'll either say it's the best decision I've ever made or the worst decision I've ever made. But 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 more days probably saying the best. I would think. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's quite interesting. You you set up in May 2007. We set up yeah. in um, August 2008. Mm. exactly the same I always tell people that you know if you can set up just before or as a as a crash is happening and you can ride and survive that then when the good times occur then then great for us and it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on it and as I say it was it was me at the time but I've got a business partner mm. now um it, it really made me focus on the really really tough stuff so like the, the finances and being very careful with my money and mm. making sure every penny counted with when it came to marketing was that the same with you? Yeah, definitely. And and we we were very much <laughs> conscious from 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 literally month one how much money is coming in every month mm. and what what do we have to pay out and you know e- even things like um again showing my age but the newspaper advert were we getting a return on that investment could we do something different with that money should we be mm. spending it on something else and and I think probably in fairness as times have got better 
we maybe haven't had that same level of concentration and it becomes something where you sort of you sign up to something or you agree to try something from a marketing point of view and you're not as focused on well is that bringing any money in what are we getting out of it you know um because there's just more money generally swimming around so it's easy to start spending money on stuff without that that same focused approach i suppose yeah do you find when you see all these new people starting up in the last 10 years yeah, pretty, like post crash, you almost feel like the uh, the elder statesman saying, hey, the kids these days don't know how easy they've got it." When I was a lad, and we had to go through a, a property crash, because that's how I look at it. You know, it, it's only 12, 13 years, but yeah. I really think it makes you much more business, but much more business savvy to having yeah. gone through that crash. Definitely, I'd, I'd 100% agree, and I think I think also as well, just purely from an estate agency point of view, you know, we've got we've got staff who worked for us for a couple of years who've never really consistently had to talk to owners about reducing the price because everything everything has been selling as long as you're sort of bringing it on at a realistic price. Whereas back in the day, we were bringing stuff on at a realistic price and two weeks later, it was no longer a realistic price, you know? Um, and I think, it, you know, those tough conversations and having to ring somebody up and say, well, since we last spoke two weeks ago, I've had nobody else interested in your property. And I know I told you when we reduced the price a month ago, that would get it sold, but we're probably mm -hmm. going to have to reduce the price again. It, it made you much more confident to have those difficult conversations with vendors because actually you realise it, it, it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. So now when, when we get sort of someone who gets an offer of 98% of the asking price and people are like, oh, they're going to be a bit upset, it's a, it's a complete different ball game in terms of conversations, you know? Mm. Were you always sales or were you, yeah. did you start off? Or you've started so we, off we, we were 100% sales for the first five years of our business. Really? Yeah. Um, so we, we, we had to, we, you know, even in a difficult market, we had to make sales work because we had no rental income to come back to. Come back to. I think that was, ultimately, that was one of the problems that the Halifax had is they didn't do rentals. So um, when the market went bad, they, 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 they had no um, sort of residual income every month to fall back on. Um, and then even if we're being honest, even then when we started doing rentals and, and lettings, we did it half-heartedly. You know, we, we, we sort of suddenly, um, we were transferred from a Halifax estate in franchise to a Yormu franchise. It, it became something that that was on the table for us to do. Um, and we we went into it, but it was very much more if we had a house where the owner said they, they changed their mind about selling, we would bring up the subject of renting. Um, and we grew a small portfolio over a couple of years. And then about four years ago, we really thought, actually, we need to take this seriously. And, 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 and we've really sort of put some resource and some time and some effort into it since then. It's interesting, isn't it, that there's a lot of estate agents had to get into yeah. lettings to be able to survive, you know, mm. the, the crash. But even now, lettings are still looked upon, not by you guys, obviously, mm. but by a lot of estate agents as the, the poor cousin, the poor yeah. relation of the, of the overall property industry. Mm. Why do you think that? Because for me, it's because there's, there's so much legislation. I don't think it's looked upon two things. I think it doesn't generate as much income. So mm. I think that's why. And people see it as a lot of work for not a lot of, not of income. And they discount the fact that the actual value of a full-on, Full service estate agency is actually mm. not necessarily in the sales, but it's in the it's in the lens mm. because it's a it's a residual income. It's that reoccurring monthly income. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think I think for me as well, 
I think if people were being honest, a lot of estate agents think it's beneath them to take the call about a blocked gutter or whatever yeah. it may be. And they sort of, they, they like the income coming in, but they resent the, te- in, in my opinion, they yeah. resent the tenants and they resent the sort of the day-to-day management yeah. of the properties. You know, it's an inconvenience. It's not sexy, is it? Table no. repairs. Yeah. We're yeah. selling like a 10 million pound house. Mm. That's a lot sexier than, than, you know, like you said, dealing with broken boilers. Mm-hmm. So what winds you up about the industry? What really gets under your skin at the minute with agents? <laughs> so uh, I think... You're allowed, I think you're allowed that, to swear. Yeah, about the, the industry at the moment is, I just see, you know, you, you know, I, I'm in a lot of the Facebook groups. I like to try and contribute. Um, and there's just so much bullshit out there that other people are spouting. Either that they've got this solution to everyone's problems and, you know, and and... You know, if you sign up for their tech product, it's going to do everything, including bushy teeth in the morning and everything. Um, or people are saying, oh, yeah, I only charge 2% fees when we all know that, that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, or they're sort of posting on, you know, it's almost this sort of cliche of the Bentley and the Rolex that they've rented for the weekend to, to, to do some posts on social media. And I, and I think the difficulty is that, other people are watching that and they're believing it and they're comparing their agency and their performance and what 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 they think other people are achieving to the react you know not to the reality but to the perception and it's not healthy for people i don't think no i agree i mean there was there was once there was a, there was a um a post on a group that i run and there was a couple of people said we won't take any less than two percent and i've told this story a couple of times so mm-hmm. my cousin lives in the area that one of these agents operates. So I'm not going to mention any names because I think it's a bit of a dickhead move to do that. And they said they charge 2%. So I got my cousin to phone them up and they immediately dropped the pants at 1.25 because my cousin's got the same accent Mm -hmm. as where this person is. And they immediately dropped the pants at 1.25%. And the parting thing was, we'll price match anyone else. So meaning we will go even lower. And you're the person who said 2%. They came in at 1.5% without even negotiating. And my cousin, with all the greatest respect in the world, isn't a property professional, isn't a negotiator, mm-hmm. is a housewife. And I'm sure if it was you or I, we'd have got them down mm-hmm. even further. So that is bullshit that's going on in, in, in the forums. And I do think that there's a lot of people that like to give it the big in. So, you know, I mean, you, you, you've been on my um, uh, group before. I'll openly say when we screwed up. I'll mm. openly say that when we first started, we had really bad customer service. We didn't have systems. We lost staff, you know, because we didn't look after them back in the beginning. Our recruitment policy used to be, do you like property? Yes. Do you want a job? Yes. You start tomorrow. Mm. But I think it's healthy to have that level of um, self-regulation, self-awareness of where you were and where you are now. And it does wind me up a little bit with the, when you see people who are selling courses or the coaches or the mentors. And that's fine. You know, I'm one and I'm, I'm not saying slagging them down so I'm the only guy. But I think you need to have that little bit of open and honesty and say, look, this might work in London. This might work in the big city centre places. It won't work in Easington. It won't work in Thameside. It will not work in Wigan, where Alan Bat is. Alan's a good agent. And I think I think I was talking to somebody else today and they, they were saying that his competitor next door or, or, or two doors or three doors away is charging like five or 600 quid to sell a house. Yeah. How do you compete with how can you go yeah. in at two percent of a four hundred grand yeah. house with that? And 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 if you if you are great and and you know we have competitors who are maybe not five hundred quid, but they're certainly six fifty, seven fifty mm. on a no sale, no fee basis. And and we're obviously significantly more expensive than that. And 
hopefully we win our fair share of the business by showing the value that we can bring to the table and the fact that we're going to do things in a different way, which will generate a better result. But you also have to be aware that there's always going to be somebody who shops in Aldi and somebody mm-hmm. who shops in Waitrose, and you're not going to be the right agent for everyone. And mm-hmm. especially in the market that we're in at the moment, um, I mean, we've got something like 95% of our stock is sold subject to contract. You know, so, um, you know, vendors are saying to us, but if I put it on with anyone, it will sell. And yeah. they're right. So the key for us is to say, yeah, but we'll get you more money or we'll provide you with a better service or we'll we'll do something that those other agents won't do. But but not everyone's going to believe that and not everyone's mm-hmm. going to be motivated by that. And, 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 you know, other people are just going to say, to a certain extent, you're all going to do the same. So I'm going to go with the cheaper agent. And that's not a problem that they're, they're welcome to that decision. There's enough people who will pay the higher amount for us to carve out a good chunk of the market at decent fees. And, and that's what we've just got to focus on, you know. Have you thought about a performance fee? Yeah, and we, we I mean, we, we're sort of, we do a lot of things. So we do sort of, um, uh, we do some performance fees. Um, we do some flexible fees where we sort of say to the owner, we will agree to match the fee that the other agents quoted. But if you feel at the end of the process, actually, we've really smashed it out of the park in terms of service and in terms of the process, then you, you know, you, you'll agree to pay us either the fee that we're asking for or somewhere in between. Um, I'm less keen on that because it's yeah. hard to predict your income because it's very much reliant on what are they going to say on the day. And, being, um, and the honesty of the, the vendor as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and also, you know, you can be let down by things like the solicitor at the last minute delaying exchange by a week and then they're pissed off and so therefore they reflect that in in the fee but we do um we do do sort of performance fees where if we get you x you pay us uh y or if we get you x you pay us 10 percent of everything above x and, mm-hmm. and things like that and, and i think in the current market that makes sense because if you're confident yeah. in what you're doing then the agents are gonna sorry the the, the vendors the clients are going to listen to that and they're going to they, you know they're, they're going to respond to it yeah, I had a good good chat with uh, a client of mine, James Kendall. Really, really good guy. Really, mm. really switched on guy. And and they do that. They they call it an overage fee. Mm. Um, I quite like the, the the performance fee. That's an mm-hmm. I think the, our clients in the northeast would understand that a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to Sam at um, Home Search. Mm. He's a really good guy, and he he said that was a big thing over in Oz, and and you know he's mm. a big fan of that. So we we're, we're just starting to put that into our marketing. And, and I think you're quite, it was sensible what you said in this market. And we've mm-hmm. got to take it that you couldn't do this in a flat market because you're not going right. to get hundred percent or 102 or on some case, 110%. Um, there was a, there was a, a, one of our latest acquisitions that we put on, it was 850 grand. Mm-hmm. And it looks as though we're going to probably get about 865, maybe 87 for it. Potentially we've got a few people. It hasn't closed at the minute. And, you know, we're quite lucky that we charge one and a quarter percent of this particular brand because it's been doing it for, for ages. But if we got it at one percent, right, which is your, your eight grand, mm-hmm. we could say, right, well, 25 percent of whatever we get mm-hmm. above and beyond that. If that goes for 870, that's going to be an additional four, five K, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, big sort of boost to your original fee. But it looks as though you price matching you know, your competitors. Yeah. And you, you're making it easier for them to make the decision to go with you, aren't yes. you? You know, ultimately. Yeah. I, I, the, I, I don't do the valuations for the branch as much as I used to, but the favourite question I would always ask everybody is, if everybody was charging the same, who would you pick? Yeah, we well, you and 
and, you know, and if the answer isn't you, the fee is irrelevant at that point, right? But if 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 the answer is you, then all you are doing is negotiating on on your price because you've already established your value to them, um, yeah. you know, and then you just need to make it easy to choose you by. By having a performance fee or, or a flexible fee or, or, you know, if you need to do a deal, then you need to do a deal, you know, um, but 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 it's about just establishing would they pick you if you were the same price anyway? Because if, if they wouldn't, well, you know, you need to go back for round two of the conversation, don't you? Mm-hmm. Quick question. Mm-hmm. Do you think we have got enough or too many, just the right amount or good quality trainers, coaches, mentors, facilitators, gurus, Call them what you want in the UK. So the, the answer to that is going to be 100% no. And, and the reason for that is purely and simply, is there, what, 20,000 estate agency branches in the country? Let's say an average of four to five people working in a branch. So you've got somewhere between 18 and 100,000 people working in the industry. And I'm pretty clued up on trainers. And I reckon I could name maybe eight off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So you've got one trainer per 10,000 people in the industry. Yeah. No, and and maybe there are more than maybe there are more than eight. You know, I'm sure there are. But but the point being is, well, people aren't getting regular training on on that level of yeah. of of quota, are they? And I think actually one of the things that's been interesting over the last sort of fourteen months is, you know, the 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 sort of enforced changes because of coronavirus have meant things like, um, if we wanted to send somebody on training, we might have to send them down to London for a day. You know, but but it, it's it's not just sending them down to London for the day. It's either a, a hotel the night before and it's the train ticket cost and everything else. So, you know, even a, a sort of a, a pretty basic training day becomes an expensive investment comparatively um, in a staff member. But but we had a guy yesterday who did uh, a morning Zoom session with one of my staff, um, you know, and he was back in work at one o'clock basically you know so we've not had to give up a whole day we've we, you know he's not had to travel you know that so that the investment became much more affordable for us because of that effectively you know and then i think there's things like um charlotte campbell's doing with able agent and i know kerfuffle with uh julian odell have got these sort of um online video libraries of training that people can dip in and out of so hope hopefully things are going to become a bit more accessible because the standard in the industry is pretty poor, isn't it? You know, um, and that is because of a lack of training. And we've been guilty of that in the past, I think, sometimes. You know, we've taken staff members on. We've trained them internally to a standard of, well, you're, you're able to go and sit on the front desk without getting us arrested mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, a huge fine. And then we've let them plateau, you know, and really what we needed to do is kicking the training up to another level and then kicking the training up to another level. But, but it's almost just, well, you're good enough, so that will do. And I think, you know, we're not, you know, we're not the only ones who've done that in the past. I'm sure that there's plenty oh. of people listening and watching who've, who've made those sort of mistakes. Tom, I can categorically say that, you know, there's, there's I, I talk to hundreds and hundreds of agents and you just tell by certain responses on the various forums, not necessarily, you know, agency mm-hmm. growth strategies, but um, other, other forums that, that they don't train their staff as much as they should. And they, they know that. And that's the good, if you can take a positive out of it, as people, you know, you're, 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 you're known for your honesty. In fact, I think I said, was it yesterday or the day before you posted something? And I went, oh, great, honesty. Um, and that's a massive positive trait because a lot of agents will gloss over it and they use the excuse, I haven't got time. I tell my coaching clients, you know, I'll never accept I haven't got time is an excuse for not doing accountability. Because if you... 
if I, I'll say to you, what time did you get up? Seven. Well, why didn't you get up at six? What time mm. did you go to bed? Nine. Why didn't you go to bed? What did you do at the weekend? Oh, we had a glass of wine. The pubs are open. No. It, it, that's fine if you don't want to do that, but mm-hmm. don't come with the bullshit excuse of um, time because what it should be, I did have the time. I just didn't prioritize it. Mm. And that's the same in business is that if you're running around like a blue ass fly, that's a Northern phrase for all the Southerners who are listening. Um, and you put that, you know, collecting the rent or twisting the morning, taking a complaint off a landlord is more important than training, developing your staff so that they can pay the rent or that they can deal with the complaint. Mm. And that's fine. But you've got to put place importance on the training, development of your staff because everyone thinks I'm a systems guy. I'm not. I'm a people guy. Mm. I think people are by far head and shoulders more important than systems because if you have the right people, they will write the systems for you that they should follow. And I think I think the thing for me is, and, and referring back to the post that you were talking about, so we were talking about why maybe you don't have a systemized business that runs yeah. itself and why I'm still 14 years later working in the branch. Yeah. And for me, we, we've, we've trained staff, but we've done that individually one-on-one with people. So we've got Joe Blogs, and Joe Blogs is brilliant at the job and they do it exactly the way we want them to do, but then they leave. And then we've got to go through that process again. And we've never systemized, documented, put processes into place so that when Joe Bloggs' replacement comes in, they know exactly what Joe Bloggs would do in that situation. You know, so you, you sort of you then have to retrain them. And I think that um, sometimes we've retrained them to the same standard. And sometimes what we've done is we've sort of let our standards slip slightly. And then we've had to sort of almost go back to, 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 to square one with the staff and the branch and the way we want things to be done because once you let something slip a little bit in one area mm. it becomes the thing that happens in every area doesn't it and it, you then you get that roller coaster of customer service and performance and results and, mm. and and everything else you know do you think agents are bad at prioritizing good at excuses or lazy or a bit of everything um i i think i think Probably a bit of the first two. I don't think there's many lazy agents. I think I think yeah. a lot of people are working hard. They're just not working smart, are they? You know, and I know that's a cliche, but you know, that's true. You know, I think it, it's very easy to come into the branch and do busy work every single day. Whether that's oh, there's a load of right move leads, so I'll jump in and help the, <clears throat> the frontline staff deal with those, or there's somebody complaining, or or we we were short on valuation so i'm going to hit the phone and do some prospecting and and all of that is valuable and useful stuff to do but in the meantime that process of well i need to work on the strategy of how we're going to grow into this other area or to develop the processes or or you know um you know do some training is put to one side and you come home at the end of the day and say i'm exhausted i worked really hard today and you did work really hard but, but maybe not in the right areas and maybe not on the things that will grow that business. And, and uh, I, you know, again, only speaking from personal experience, I, I can tell you now, for a vast chunk of the 14 years we've run a business, we've not really had any sort of annual or quarterly plan as such. It's been, oh, make it, you know, January the 1st, let's make as much money as we possibly can this year. Mm-hmm. And of course, that, that's definitely the aim. And we've worked hard all year to do that. But we've never said, well, how are we going to grow the number of properties we sell? Or, you know, uh, oh, and actually, that's not true to say we've never said it. We, we, we obviously regularly say that, but we've never sat down and said, right, quarter one's aim is 
we're going to target this area. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to um, we're going to work really, really hard on creating a prospecting culture or, or, or whatever it may be. And then in quarter two, we're going to move on to this and, you know, and, and have a proper plan with action points and milestones and things like that. Now, in the last couple of years, we've changed that. And that's definitely had an impact on, on how we run as a business, you know. Mm-hmm. Sort of taking it back a little bit. Um, how come you got into business with your mother-in-law and your brother-in-law? And leading on from that, why a franchise and not set up your own business? Um, so I probably answer the second one first. The franchise was a pretty easy decision for us. My mother-in-law was an existing branch manager of the Halifax estate agents. And the Halifax approached her and said, do you want to franchise the branch that you manage? And effectively continue to run the branch you manage, but keep the lion's share of the income. Um, and I, I'd worked for a previously, I was working for a different estate agency at the time. And so that was a pretty easy decision for us to make. Um, if I'm being truthful, how did I end up in business with my mother-in-law and brother-in-law? Just fell into it. Yeah, because I worked in a state agency, I'd sort of, um, and she was offered this opportunity, and she sort of said, "This seems like a good opportunity. Is it something that you want to do?" And I said, "Yeah, definitely," because I was, I was, uh, you know, I was entrepreneurial in nature, and I and I wanted to earn more money than I think that that could see I could earn as an employee and you know I was in my sort of mid-20s and it seemed like a great idea and if I'm being honest I had nothing to lose um and then at the same time um uh, Mary's other daughter her husband um was at a crossroads in his career and it just seemed to make logical sense that we would all sort of give this a go basically you know um and as I say in many ways it's been a really really great decision to be in business with each other uh in most ways I would say um I think that We've discussed this before and I've said it, it's great because, you, you know, you're working towards, in, in theory, a, you know, a common goal of building something for the family and you've got people who are there to support you, who uh, sort of love and care for you, not just as a business partner, but as a member of the family and stuff like that. I think the issue that we've had with it um, um, is that because we're a family business and there's three family members that work in here and and, and sometimes four, because sometimes my, my, my wife works with us as well, um, what you create is you create a family culture within the business. And um, again, when we look at it now with hindsight, that wasn't the culture that we wanted, that, yeah. that we should have set up. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, um, I said to people, we want we, really what we wanted is a sports team culture yeah. where you come in, everyone's mates, everyone's worked really hard together towards that common goal. But as soon as somebody becomes not capable of performing at the standard, it sounds harsh to say, but ruthlessly you replace them with somebody else who is yeah. capable of performing at the standard. And when you have a family culture, that doesn't happen. What yeah. happens is you forgive them and you you make allowances for them and you work around them. And and and, and that's not not necessarily the family members. It just it just becomes anyone in the branch, you know, or anyone in the team, or you know, however you want to say it, um, because you sort of you have this close culture of everyone's a everyone's part of the family here, you know? And now we used to say that a lot and I hear other businesses and I see other businesses say it now. And I think that is not what you want because the problem is that, that, that although it sounds great, it creates problems in the long term. You make allowances. There's a really good book, uh, Legacy. It's about the the All Blacks. Yeah, um, brilliant book. Yeah, oh, it's superb. I mean, I, I'm a huge, huge rugby <laughs> nerd anyway. So 
Um, I, I love that. But one of the things I like, what they talk about is is the self-policing aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if somebody's not performing, you, you're shocked mm-hmm. about it, you know, and yeah. you feel guilty. In your, but in a, in a family-run business, you've got to make allowances. Oh, look, mm-hmm. you know what's going on in the personal life or Jimmy split with his wife or, yeah. or whatever, and we'll let it go. But again, then you've got the non-family members saying, well, my route for progression are blocked because there's no mm-hmm. way that Tom's going to sack his mum or his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where do I go from here? Do you, do you find that it affects the other family, the other staffing, or are they quite understanding about it? Or you haven't had yeah. Uh, I think there's definitely, especially the route to progression. I think there's definitely been issues with that in the past, and I yeah. think we've got we've had good staff members who've moved on because they can't see, they they can't or they couldn't see a path for development and a path for them to to, to go somewhere else. And I think it's also we've you know, um, as I say, we've had we've had staff who've worked for us for sort of ten years at, at various stages, and you know they've very much become part of the family and uh, you know when when I got married all the staff came to the wedding and, and there's nothing wrong with that and that's great but it then becomes a sort of thing where if you've been if if you've been playing with somebody's kids at the weekend it makes it very very difficult to say to them on Tuesday you're not performing to standard mm-hmm. you know because you know the implications of where that conversation is going to go ultimately you know um, and and I think that as I say, that 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 to me is the downside of having of being a family business. And I suppose if I'm being honest, it's not necessarily that it should be a downside of it being a family business. It, it, it's just something that I think when you set up a family business, you have to be acutely aware of, and you have to be aware that 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 that's where the culture can go if you don't police it. Mm. What's been the biggest learning curve for you in the business? Where do you think that over the last couple of years, especially, that you've said, do you know what, from either a course or or, or um, you know, the forums, this is where we need to change and take the business and you've actually done something about it. Because it's all well and good, just sort of give you a bit of context. It's all well and good reading the books and watching the YouTube mm. videos, but it's actually, as everyone knows, and you especially, it's it's, it's mm. action that you need to take rather than just talking about it. So I, I suppose for me, there's, there's two massive things that we've looked at. Um, uh, the, the first was just the standards that we operated at um and we uh, you know i've said this before we have at various times been really really good as an estate agency i think it's probably fair to say you know you know the, the experience that people have had with us has been you know i think absolutely exceptional and then at times it hasn't been and and that's almost always to do when we when we sort of analyze why that's happened it's almost always to do with us letting certain things slip um, and because we've let, and, and, and they're not necessarily massive things, but because we've let little things slip, right, that people have then sort of looked around and thought, oh, well, we don't have to do things the way they're saying they should be done. And then that 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 becomes something that happens in more and more areas. And so for me, the biggest thing that we didn't do as a business that we are now doing more frequently is the one-to-one conversations with the staff, right? Because then you can sit there and say, well, look, you know, you, you started coming in a little bit late. And whilst it's not a massive issue that you're five minutes late, to me, it's an indicator of your attitude towards other things or, your, you, you know, um, your desk is starting to get a little bit messy. Although if, if any of my team hear this, they'll laugh because I'm definitely the messy desk guy in the office. But, you know, it's whatever you, whatever we've decided are the standards or just, you know, how we you know certain things that we do you know when we 
going on evaluation or when we're going on a viewing and the, the process that we've agreed it should be, you know, you're not following that process. And what we're finding is when we're having those conversations early, Absolutely. that's very easy to nip it in the bud. Or somebody sort of turns around and says, well, that process is stupid. That's why I don't want to follow it. And then there's a conversation to be had of, well, is it stupid? And actually, why didn't you just tell us that's what you thought? And maybe we'll change the process. Or, well, there's a reason we do it. And you either follow what we want to do or you don't. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine. But maybe we're not the right place for you. And, you know, um, and, you know, by having those more regular conversations, and I'll be honest with you, we're, we're not as structured as, um, you know, I've, I've done a training course with you about managing staff and, and I know how you manage your guys at, at Castle Dean. And we're probably not as structured as you are and probably not as structured as we should be in that process. But we're now at least having the regular conversations and, um, you know, and and identifying areas where people are letting the standards slip and and to be fair praising them as well when yeah. when they're doing things well and, and and you know giving them that that feedback either way i suppose um so that's the first thing that we've implemented in the last couple of years that i think is is making a difference um and then for me the second thing is is what i said previously is just a bit more planning and a bit more structure you know we've got a five-year goal for the business we've got a one-year goal for the business we've got some quarterly um, actions that we want to complete um, and you know we're having uh, you know we, we, we have um, maybe not again maybe not quite as formal as we might do if it wasn't a family business but we now have you know more of a manager director owner style yeah. conversation which is much more formal than oh can you pass me the gravy and by the way what do you think we should do about this yeah. you know which is perhaps what we've done in the past again you know we're, we're sort of carving out a little bit of time once a month to say what have we got issues? What do we need to improve on? What's yeah. going really well? Are, are we on track for what we want to do or do we need to make any changes and, and things like yeah. that? Yeah. Do you know what's really interesting about this is that the, the things that you're doing now are going to make it easier to run on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And it's going to make it certainly easier to run in about a year's time. Mm. But what also it's going to do, and by the way, I'm not I'm not prying mm. if you don't want to talk about it, that's mm. completely fine, is if and when you want to exit the business, mm. um, you know, I'm listening to an absolute ton of stuff on acquisitions because we're going through the process, you know, I do the courses, et cetera, on it. And one of the things is that family run businesses or especially where people are in, in, in roles that, you know, say 20 or 30% of family, it's pretty much unsaleable because mm. if you sell it, you know, and, and 30% of the staff go, then it's a bit difficult. But what I suppose you can do and, you know, your mother-in-law is a little bit older, is that she mm. could be looking to exit with the shares and then the mm. brother-in-law or you sell the brother-in-law. And then it's one or two people you've got to replace. Mm. It's actually quite smart what you're doing is you're putting these things into place now and making one or two of you redundant. So if I came in and, you know, mm-hmm. we went into Manchester, you could say, JP, by the way, although we've got shareholders, two of them have got nothing to do with the business, it's only me, so yeah. there's only me you've got to replace. Is that mm. is that like part of the... The, the overall plan yeah i mean i think i think there's definitely an element of that plan and and you know um whilst we may not have any immediate plans to exit yeah. you've got to start thinking about those, those sort of things eventually don't you and, and i think there's there's definitely an element of wanting to make all of us redundant but i think coming back to something that we've spoken about in the past i think it also fits in more with where we think the industry is going so we we used to have two branches um prior to covid um we shut uh, well sorry after, straight after COVID, we shut a branch because when we came back, we didn't know what the market was going to be like. So we sort of said, look, we're temporarily going to be based out of just this one office. Um, and um, 
for a variety of reasons to do with the lease of the property, what the, the landlord of the property wanted to do, the success that we'd had being based back in one office, we made a decision to permanently shut that branch about three months ago. Um, but 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 for us, what, what it allowed us to do is then say, well, if we are going to shut that, what, again, what's the plan? Does that mean we're just going to be one branch forever or, 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 or what are we looking at doing? Um, and, and for me, obviously, there's a lot of talk in the industry about um, self-employed models mm. and hubs and, and associates and things like that. And, and you know, uh, I've my opinions on some of it and, and some of it um, I think is, uh, you know, some of it I think is, again, goes back to that, what we're talking about before about people bullshitting and maybe this stuff isn't quite as rosy as everyone says it is. But I do think that that is probably the long-term direction that as an industry we're going to go and certainly as a business that we're going to go is that we want to look at, are we going to be having one bigger branch covering a much bigger area than traditionally it would have done um, and maybe have, four or five valuers within a branch who are more of all-round estate agents and our job as the industry you know our job will be to provide support to those people mm. you know so somebody who's going to answer the phone really really professionally who's going to register the the applicants or, or or whatever really really professionally and maybe provide some sales progression and then it's that middle ground which is going to be some sort of element of high commission or self-employed or something. And that's the vague area, I think, for everybody at the moment, isn't it? You know, do you sort of have people who are self-employed or do you employ them and give them a big chunk of the commission, but 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 sort of expect them to, to bring in the business themselves? But that's definitely where we see ourselves moving towards, mm. which is why we want to we want to get some processes in place and also some systems in place so that we're very much focused on providing that front end service and that back end service. And then the people in the middle can almost run independent businesses within our business, if you like. Yeah. It's a bit like a hub and spoke model. Yeah, isn't it? definitely. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that's got legs and it's a bit of a hybrid between like, you know, you've got the self-employed model and you know, I think there's one possibly two, you know, self-employed agents, well, definitely, well, there's only one as far as I'm aware, who's, who's probably the market leader in certain areas. Other than that, you've got all these, these um, you know, self-employed models where some of them are just scraping a living. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've got the high profile ones and the fit the nation, they're very good and that's fine. And, you know, part of the argument is that you don't do self-employed if you want to be a market leader. It's more of a lifestyle mm-hmm. more than anything else. But yeah, again, you're not, it's, it's, it's getting the wheat from the chaff, isn't it? It's it's spinning out the bullshit of, of what works mm. and what doesn't work. Because mm. let's be honest, they're in business to sell licenses or franchises or sell areas or, or whatever, the spoke of the hub and spoke. They're not going to say, oh, by the way, it, it doesn't work in this area and this, this, and this. Mm. Um, and you get good and you get bad as, as with any industry. Mm. So, no, it's interesting. So where do you think in general, that's the, that's where the industry's headed in your area. Where do you think it's headed in the UK? Has COVID made a, a huge impact on that? Do you think it's sped up where we're going to be going? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it definitely has. I mean, it's like we were talking about with training and, and the changes to how that, that's been. And I think, you know, COVID, it, it's got to have impacted on lots of people's businesses, even if they're not seeing that now, because I think that there's, there's a number of things that have happened. So I think that maybe some staff members have realized they're not as essential to the running of the business as they thought they were. Um, I think some business owners have realized that they don't necessarily need to have the same number of premises and the same number of staff that they thought they needed 
to generate those results. And I think that that sort of feeds into that 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 um, spoke or self-employed conversation that we've had. But I also just think that people, the customers' expectations are changing. Um, we used to do, I would say, ninety percent of our viewings at the weekend, um, and now do most of our viewings sort of late afternoon early evenings during the week um, and it's not to say we don't do things on a Saturday because we do but but most of our customers are now moving away from that expectation of the Saturday is going to be the day that we're going to go view the house and that yeah. might sound like a little difference but that actually makes a big difference to the industry because then if you know in terms of the caliber of staff that you're attracting if you're no longer having to say well everyone works every other Saturday if it's now going to be one in three Saturdays because customers expectations have changed or because they're now working more flexibly from home they can view at different times mm -hmm. You know, then actually that changes who might be attracted to the industry and the caliber of who you, you, you can recruit and, you know, and, and then becomes, um, you know, like a virtuous cycle of better staff. Mm -hmm. uh, people's experiences are better and then hopefully the fees can rise a little bit and, and, and you know, things like that. So and I think, you know, connected to that is obviously this sort of uh, Roper situation, which is hanging over everyone's head a little bit at the moment, um, you know, but uh, again, licensing and compulsory training can only help the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think what will happen as part of that is you will see people leave the industry uh, either because they just can't be bothered going through that, that training process or because they don't want to be licensed and compliant and, and things. And, and again, that, that, that can only be a positive for the industry, I think. Yeah, no, it's interesting. We we took over a business just before COVID, and they mm -hmm. their tagline was "Nobody opens longer hours than us." And it was nine in the morning or nine at night, Saturdays, Sundays, overflow contact um, uh, calls. Immediately we shut down on a Sunday, and immediately mm -hmm. we shut down from I think it was like till six o'clock on a Saturday, and we just went mm -hmm. down to one o'clock, and we still sold more houses. Mm -hmm. So I, I think. Yeah, it's great to have it open till, you know, there's an argument, why don't you have it open till four o'clock in the morning? Because there's somebody going to be finishing night mm. shift at midnight. And I think it's it's like what Henry Ford said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, did I did ask the, the horses. Yeah. And it's the same as that. If you, oh, do you want us to open at midnight? Yeah, yeah, do it. No, you tell them you're opening hours. And if they want the house that bad, they will come to you. If they want, they'll phone and say, look, I can't get there till five. Can you keep it open till half five? Um, Alan Bat was mentioned to me before the Batman down in Wigan. He was open Saturdays and Sundays, and he shut down on a Sunday. And I'm sure he didn't feel any pitch mm. because it's just that old thought of, well, this is what the customer wants. This is what the customer mm. needs. Well, it's up to you to tell the customer what they should want because mm. you're, you're you're the person, the industry expert. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the industry's changing. I think it's going to be for the better. We're using more technology. I think it's forced us to be more efficient, which leads us to more effective. So, um, yeah, I think it's a uh, I think overall we're in a good position as an industry, mm. Mm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, I just want to say thanks very much for coming on here. I just want a signature question I ask everybody at the end is, uh, what is leadership to you? What do you think leadership is? Mm. So I think for me, leadership is about having a plan and it's about having a destination in mind. And then it's about, bringing people along that journey to that destination. Um, and it's not necessarily about cracking the whip and, and, and standing at the front of a room and giving it, you know, an inspiring speech and, and, you know, shouting at people, but it's about just sort of saying, this is where we want to go and this is how we're going to get to it. Mm -hmm. um, leading by example, really showing people, you know, you're, you know, you're prepared to go on that journey with them to get to where they want to be. 
I appreciate that. Tom, one of the nicest men in the state agency. Thanks again for coming on the uh, podcast and YouTube.